Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guest in New York is Sarah Barnett, president of Entertainment Networks for AMC Networks. Barnett and I sat down just a few days before Killing Eve had its second season premiere on BBC America. Barnett and I discuss at length and in granular detail the benefits of a hit, a viral hit like Killing Eve, for a cable channel like BBC America at this time in the programming world. Barnett also discusses AMC's deep investment in what she calls forensic audience research tools to get a better handle on how the audience for AMC and its sibling channels move across those networks and how AMC can best corral that audience data. She also gives a very candid discussion about what she's learned in the business of what she calls change management over her long career of taking over cable channels in need of rehabilitation. It's a great conversation with one of the fast-rising stars in the television business. Sarah Barnett, president of the Entertainment Networks Group for AMC Networks. Thank you so much for coming by today. Such a pleasure. Let's talk. You guys are just on the throes now of, of launching Killing Eve for its second season. This is, a, this is the, probably the, biggest, the best gift that a TV programmer can have. A buzzy, sleeper success story came on BBC America last year as a little show. And you, knew, you probably knew it would get some attention because it had great auspices. Phoebe Waller-Bridge... Sandra O, oh, Jodie Comer, a name that wasn't as known here but in the U.S., but certainly is now. It comes on your air. It by dint of its just purely how good it was. It it rises to the top, gets a lot of attention, and now has now been on an awards march and just all the good things that you could possibly want for a show. Tell me what on a business level. What does a show with a trajectory like that mean for a cable channel like a BBC America? Yeah. I mean, we certainly couldn't have anticipated the, um, the, the scale and buzz of Killing Eve. In fact, we would have been kind of insane had we done that because in the world we live in today, it's so hard to break through. Um, and I can talk at some point about the reasons why I think this show did break through, but um, it's a dream on a business level. You know, first of all, everywhere we go, whether we're talking to advertisers or whether we're talking to affiliates or whether we're talking to anyone else in our industry, um, Killing Eve is all anyone wants to talk about at the moment. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I try and move people off the topic to talk about everything else I want to talk about. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the affiliation <laughs> fees, <exactly>. right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think we can't underestimate... The impact with, I mean, let's start with our advertisers, the impact with that the show has, um, not just in the pricing that our sales team are able to get now moving into a season two with this kind of success behind us, but the way it, opened door, it opens doors to talk about other things on our network, and the way it opens doors to talk about other things across the portfolio of networks is really quite something. Um, so that's why we took the business decision to put season two of Killing Eve not just on BBC America, but also on AMC. Uh, we get amazing pricing uh, for season two. Um, so the value to the business in very transactional ways is calculable and big. The value to the business in other ways, maybe softer ways, um, is every bit as big, if not bigger. Uh, it's a calling card 
people want to come to a network that has a show like that. Creative people want to work with you. Creative people are interested now uh, in coming to uh, BBC America and through that open the door to AMC, BBC America, IFC, Sundance, the whole entertainment group. Um, so the ability that we all have uh, to create amazing partnerships with our affiliate, our advertising and our creative constituents with a show like this is really something. And I think probably on the most sort of mega business level, I think the, um, the stamp that this show has in continuing to mark AMC Networks as a company that punches above its weight and as a company that has this really quite phenomenal uh, batting average in the premium scripted world is again something that I think speaks profoundly and deeply to our investment community um, and to other kinds of business stakeholders. It's important that even in a world of 500 shows and even in a world where there's more appreciation for niche than ever before, there's no substitute for something that everybody's talking about. I think there's no substitute for something that becomes a true cultural conversation point. I think that's that's the holy grail. I think that's what every platform, every business, big or small, is looking for. And I think that Killing Eve is the poster child for that right now. So we don't take that for granted. We don't take that lightly. Um, we celebrate it. We celebrate it with some neurosis because that's our that's our character and our makeup. Uh, Everybody we, knows season two is often hard. <laughs> and we want to find the next one. We mm-hmm. want to find the next Killing Eve. Right. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think that that kind of the kind of cultural currency that a show like Killing Eve has is, I think, the fuel that can really sort of inspire a new chapter, if that's not too ambitious an aspiration from it. But it's very it's very meaningful. Is that a when you have success like that? When it is, you know, it is hard to 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 break for anything to break out it is hard to get attention for shows when you have a success like that that is a sleeper i would imagine just for your staff for the organization it's such a lift you know it can still happen it's actually wonderful and and thank you for bringing that up because it's it's actually on a personal level one of the most fulfilling things <laughs> is to see a team that slogs day in day out in a world where you know we're also aware of the challenge of how many shows there are um, and how fragmented our industry is and how hard it is to um, to get the attention of an audience to tune in. Um, so when you have something like this, like Killing Eve, that breaks through, I think the elation, the potency, the pride, uh, and, and the sheer sort of joy and commitment that doubles back, I think, from from the team um, into the work that they do is... Is, is something you can't bottle. It's actually really extraordinary. There have been many cupcake celebrations in the past year. <laughs> Absolutely. What is, when you decided to put, to do a simulcast on AMC and BBC America of Killing Eve for season two, what is the, what were the calculations that you looked at in terms of, in terms of deciding whether, you know, obviously there there was a potential to funnel more audience to BBC America or did you think that with this kind of buzz it would be better to give it a just a wider platform yeah the philosophy behind putting Killing Eve on AMC as well as BBC America is to use AMC put simply as a marketing platform for the show we believe this show has um, the ability to uh, clearly have connected culturally with fans 
with critics, with so many people in such a fizzy kind of way. We also think it has the storytelling DNA, the big swings in terms of its entertainment quotient to potentially connect with a really broad audience Mm -hmm. and a broad audience that a platform like BBC America, um, even though it can, you know, with Doctor Who and at times with natural history programming, reach a big audience. It's just not as distributed as AMC and it doesn't have a show like The Walking Dead that we can use as a promotional platform um, to promote to Killing Eve from. I mean, of course, we could promote from Walking Dead to BBC mm-hmm. America and indeed we do but to promote it's always stronger to promote from Walking Dead to Killing Eve on that same platform right um, partly because they say don't go anywhere exactly yeah. and partly because some of those people watching Walking Dead just don't get BBC America right. it's not as it's not as uh, broadly distributed as AMC is which is you know distributed everywhere you have cable so um So the calculation was really that we believed that this show had proven that it had the ability to connect in a really quite stunning and extraordinary way. Um, And it actually connects with a bigger point of view that we have, that I have actually, Mm -hmm. and one of the exciting things I feel about how, what the opportunity is um, with a new structure that puts these four networks together is at AMC Networks is the ability to really understand how and where our audiences between the four brands Mm -hmm. overlap and how and where they're different. And where we think there's opportunity to move shows from one network to another because we don't think it's duplicative. We actually think it's just additive. We'll be doing a lot more than that. And we will also be promoting a lot more across from one network to another. And the only reason we can really do this is it's, it's pretty case by case, but it's informed really by... Um, the ability to use some quite sophisticated performance marketing data analytics that we've built in-house that allow us to really understand for the first time how and where our audience moves between our different platforms. So I think as our competitors are bulking up and we remain relatively nimble, not on the huge size, not on the huge side. Compared to a, you know, enlarged Disney or an exactly. AT&T, right? Exactly. But the ability, I think, for us to wrap our arms as a business around the entire ecosystem of our audience, understand our audience, and understand how and where we can move shows from one platform to another to speak to different audiences, I think becomes a really smart way for us to really align our audiences and maximize our audiences and stay sort of nimble and smart and competitive. So... So only seven percent of our audience across the four network only seven percent of our only seven percent of our audience watch all four networks mm-hmm. and only twenty six percent of our audience watch AMC and BBC America, which as you'd imagine is the biggest duplication. So we think there's a lot of opportunity to flow shows around between our, our platforms informed by some really quite forensic understanding and some experimentation frankly mm-hmm. you know we'll be trying things as um there's a show called A Discovery of Witches, which right. launched earlier this year, actually on our streaming services. So it's not just our linear platforms, mm-hmm. but on uh, Shudder and Sundance Now and also on AMC Premiere, we launched the show Discovery of Witches. Um, it's a great show. It's, uh, it's, um, it's genre. It's a vampire falls in love with a witch. It has Matthew Good. It's sort of <laughs> posh, but also broad. It's beautiful. It's shot around the world. And, uh-huh. but, but lots of it is in Oxford. It's just gorgeous. Anyway, it did extraordinarily well on these platforms that we launched it on these streaming platforms and AMC Premiere. Um, 
So we then thought, well, maybe it actually can migrate to linear. So we're airing it after Killing Eve on both BBC A and AMC. So Clearly we'll a vote of confidence in the show, yeah. About, I mean, it, you know, and it all comes down to content that we believe in, content that we believe right. really has the sort of the legs to connect. And you saw that it has real traction. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, you know, and we'll learn as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about your new role. You were promoted in, you had been running BBC America. Before that, you ran Sundance. And in November, you were promoted to a group role overseeing AMC, BBC America, IFC, and Sundance TV. You started to answer some of my question, but tell us what is, what would you say are the benefits of that structure for running these distinct programming brands at this kind of crazy time in the programming world yeah i think the main one really is the ability to understand audience across uh, the ecosystem of brands that we have and to program accordingly Um, and that will mean shifting content around somewhat while still absolutely retaining the discrete brand value programming reach that our different platforms have you know our affiliates our advertisers and our viewers all know our brands You know, we don't have 25 brands in our company. We have sort of a handful of really well-curated, really deep, very meaningful brands, all of which do something quite original, but all of which have these interesting intersection points with each other. So the ability to sort of be, to see it as a sort of complex puzzle, but a cohesive whole, I think is something that's really exciting. And I think that the teams that are coming together from the different four networks are finding that very exciting, as well as I think really enjoying um, uncovering talent internally that mm. previously was mm-hmm. sort of squirreled away in different parts. The ability, mm-hmm. I think, to sort of pull together a team of people, so the management piece of it, and to pull together a, a group of people to work together in new ways who hadn't previously worked together, to create a culture which is still around understanding our brands, knowing the value of our brands, what they mean, their brands that have a lot of equity behind them, and also encouraging people to not be siloed by brand, but to think in a sort of portfolio way, requires some new muscles, I think is really, really interesting. And I think people are very much enjoying, I think actually all humans kind of enjoy both being passionate about certain things, but also then having a sense of the bigger interconnectedness and how to work across something bigger. And particularly in the business reality of today, we sort of have to. But I think it's a challenge that everyone's up for and rising to. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of it's a fascinating moment and a really interesting moment to take what we have and create sort of new patterns from it. Um, and then I think, you know, the other thing I think that's a real advantage of us being organized in this new way is... You know, David Madden now oversees programming for all four of the networks that I oversee. And for him, the ability and his team, the ability to be in the uh, creative community um, buying for four of these networks Mm -hmm. is great. And four networks that all have, as I said, a distinct point of view. Very distinct, right. Yeah, and a real, I would say, sort of creative energy in different ways about all of them. They've all done things that sort of stand out, you know, if not as huge on the smaller networks, and certainly as very distinctive, very original, very risk-taking. So there's definite advantage there. And has the, I would imagine that the feedback from the creative community allowing you to streamline the ability to pitch IFC and Sundance and BBC and AMC in one fell swoop, I imagine that would be that would be welcomed again at a time when people, all I hear from people is that they're overwhelmed with the number of 
choices, even the number of choices of, you know, where am I going to shop my comedy? Totally. I mean, I think I think comedy probably is slightly different. It's a slightly, you know, Pete Aronson, who's been overseeing programming for a, for IFC for a while, now reports into David Madden, but he's sort of pretty much in his area doing his thing with comedy. Uh, it tends to be just a different bunch of writers, different people you're talking to. Right. But certainly with the scripted networks, I think it is a real advantage. I think it's also an advantage, I'll just brag for a moment for us to have David Madden in the seat. I think he's so beloved in the community. A real and so pro. Good, and such a good, and so, so good at what he does. Um, but I love having his expertise now across all four of the networks. I think he's, I think he's one of our, he's one of our weapons for sure. <laughs> and you talked a lot about tracking audience and understanding audience. How much would you say um, you invest as a company in, in understanding and di- sort of dissecting the audience that you have? I would imagine that that's a growing expenditure and area of focus for you. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, more and more. So for several years now, we've had a business intelligence department internally run by um, an incredibly clever guy called Vitaly Sivin and his team. And uh, he's been building a number of proprietary products, some of which are very much focused on the advertising world. uh, And I would say a best in class uh, planning tool called Aurora that we have on the ad side uh, and then he's been working for the last three or four years quite intensely with Linda Shupak who's our wonderful head of marketing on some performance marketing and predictive analytical tools that really help us understand um, who to target how to target how to measure the targeting as we're mm-hmm. going through a campaign right, right. Um, and then how to post-mortem um, and underneath all of that how to have some real forensic understanding of who our audiences are, what they're consuming, how they're moving around our platforms. So it's, you know, and then we also have some tools that he's developed that are super sophisticated. He's rolling out the 2.0 version of a tool we call internally PAT, uh, which is about how we place promos and how we understand who they connect with and how we can best use the inventory we have on our air for promotion to both optimize our linear business and build to our future businesses. So how to promote to AMC Premier, how to promote to our subscription services, Shudder, Sundance Now, and now Acorn and UMC. So we're really looking at how we can think, if you like, philosophically about our linear platforms as these incredibly successful platforms that are still big. Mm-hmm. But they are we, the engine of the company. They are the engine moment. of the yeah. company entirely. Um, but how we can use how we can use the sort of incumbency we have and the strength of that that legacy platform to help build our new businesses, how we can promote to our gaming, how we can promote to any sort of comic book activity we're doing. So so it's exciting. Mm -hmm. A lot of tools. How much do you, when you program, how much do you think about programming for that live linear audience versus programming to somebody who's going to either record a bunch of episodes and wait or go to go to your AMC premiere is your subscription service that allows people you know early access to shows or or to an authenticated platform is that do you calculate that in your head in terms of the timing and how you when you launch shows when you roll them out yeah so is your question more around slots timing content acquisition or around the actual creative we are looking for, like the nature of the storytelling. Yeah, that, I, I would say both. Okay, actually, that's a good it's a really interesting question. Um, we tend to juggle 
pretty much between our um, linear platforms and the slots that we need in order to both retain audiences, be vital with enough original content, fit into the upfront schedule that our advertisers need. Um, so we're pro- pro- programming for that on the linear side. We're increasingly also folding in the um, content acquisition needs for AMC Premier. So um, their differentiated offering tends to be around early content and bingeable content and obviously ad-free content. So it's a little checkerboard right now. It's sort of one or a combination of those three things that will be their differentiator. Sometimes it's early. Sometimes it's not because of production schedules. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's possible to binge Uh, an entire season prior to us launching it. Sometimes we choose not to because with certain shows, there's a big conversation with the writers and the showrunners around spoilers. Right. So it's an interesting moment where we're both protecting linear and the linear experience and the linear numbers and at the same time, fueling and driving new business models. It's fascinating. I think we're learning a lot Right. Um, in And the kind of engrossing dramas that your channels, that you certainly AMC and Sundance and BBC are known for, you know, I think it's, there's no question that the audience has spoken and that there is a real, you know, there's almost a, you know, there's a generation almost that has been trained now to watch those kinds of shows, particularly without commercials. Is that on the linear side, is the need to service that advertising, is that becoming... Uh, you know, is that becoming a bigger hardship for you in terms of, and are you looking at any potential models to kind of limit the number of interruptions or get around that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, <laughs> that's why something like Killing Eve popping and jumping out in a ad supported environment is sort of remarkable. And the numbers that continue to be there, in spite of the fact that the headlines are written are sort of about the slippage, but the continued uh, primacy of, of The Walking Dead in cable. Um, We do think that there are certain things in a linear environment that has a necessity of having ads. Um, There are certain storytelling ingredients that need to be there, I think. It needs to have big swings. It needs to have um, cliffhangers built in, not just at the end of an episode, but equally at acts. I I actually think there's something about the craft of that kind of TV writing Mm -hmm. that can get a little bit lost, frankly, in the amorphousness of a season being dropped and Mm -hmm. there being no necessity to the shape. 12 hours in one fell swoop. Yeah, 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 12 hours in one fell swoop. So there's no need for cliffhangers. There's no need for that sort of structure. I mean, I think... The build. Yeah, Yeah. and Breaking Bad was probably the... the, To me, the sort of... the, the, The absolute sort of perfection of the form, if you like. But I think a lot of sitcoms, too, are written in such a smart way that have always been um, very much informed by the U.S. form of television, which has breaks in it. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of our content is formed in a way where we believe there's a propulsion to it and a certain kind of Mm -hmm. high entertainment value to... um, to, to the shows that it will pull people through the form in which, in which they watch it. Right. AMC Premiere is really our first to market experiment within our MVPD ecosystem of presenting to audiences another way of watching. So it's an upsell, you pay $4.99 a month and you have the ability to watch AMC shows early, uninterrupted, 
um, and with other kinds of extras and other that I mentioned earlier. So, so yeah, so we're, we're again, experimenting with the ways that people want to watch, um, but continuing to make content that we believe is sort of, to some extent, created in a way that works in our environment on our platforms. Mm-hmm. That's a tall order. How has the uptake been on AMC Premiere? It's been encouraging. We're ahead of our projections. We don't give numbers, as you probably know, mm-hmm. um, but it's done well. I mean, Walking Dead has driven a lot of it. Discovery of Witches was remarkably successful. I mean, it was the highest, uh, it was the most successful show on Shudder and Sundance now and up there with AMC Premiere. Um, it's doing well. We're, we're, we're encouraged. You're encouraged to keep, to keep it going. Yeah. Interesting. Um, let me ask you, obviously, it's all, it, uh, it starts in, in, in many cases, ends with the content. Right now, there's no shortage of competition for, you know, for talent, for stars. Uh, you, at BBC America, you had invested a lot in promoting th- these incredible BBC natural history documentaries. A couple of days ago, there was a headline, BBC has done a deal with Discovery. It's a cutthroat environment. How do you how do you compete in a world where you're competing against companies with you know balance sheets bigger than some small European countries? <laughs> yeah, I'll come back to the natural history thing. It's interesting. Um, generally, we compete in the way we've always competed. We've never been the biggest. If it was all about giving orders and writing checks, then everyone would have Killing Eve, Walking Dead, Medical right. Soul, and they don't. Right. We've always we've always competed by being savvy and having an eye across the board at spotting good scripts and, and, and good talent. You know, it's Mad Men, Breaking Bad and Killing Eve were all scripts that have been overlooked by other people in other places. I think we're good at that. I hope we continue to be good at that. I think we're a place where creative storytellers want to come. For us, it isn't about assembling a big shiny package of big names necessarily. It starts with a great writer having a alarmingly fresh idea that they have to tell and then building around that, facilitating around that, staffing around that. Um, That's, you know, I've always run, as you know, as you said, pretty small scrappy networks. Sundance (laughs) and BBC America certainly aren't the most deep pocketed networks in town. Um, But I think it is always about, to me, that's interesting. It's always about finding where the talent is, you know, trying to stay a little bit half a step ahead of where you think the audience is, where you think the creative mood is going, and then coming across great people. I think we have the team with David and his team to do that, to continue to do that. I think AMC has always been at its best when it's sort of veered left sharply, when it's subverted itself mm-hmm. and done something surprising. Um, so we're, we're excited about the next step. Um, to come back to the natural history thing, uh, it is competitive. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that everyone wants to get their hands on these extraordinary BBC Studios productions because they are transcendent and connect with audiences that I think is actually quite deep and profound, particularly at a time of such division and separation. I think there's something actually almost, I'm going to use a a, a big word, but almost spiritual about how they pull people together. Um, We continue to be the home for the biggest natural history content in America. Um, These shows have always existed on Nesswap platform. It was previously Netflix. Now they're going to Discovery. So uh, I don't blame David Zasloff. I utterly understand his (laughs) desire and uh, uh, declamatory um, uh, enthusiasm 
around how great these shows are, I feel very confident that BBC America continues to be the biggest US home for natural history content in the United States and will continue to. We just completed a five-year deal with BBC Studios a few months ago uh, to be the home of their biggest iconic tentpole natural history documentary shows that come off of BBC One. So uh, Planet Earth 3 will be on BBC America, um, Frozen Planet 3, or is it 2? Frozen Planet 2, um, and a number of other of these sort of iconic shows. So, And we have a lot of ambition around what we intend to do with them and how we invent. We intend to continue to elevate all of the natural history content. I actually think natural history content is a very interesting... Um, I think natural history content is, plays actually very well in the linear environment. Mm-hmm. I think there's sort of something wonderfully relevant with this content about people being time bound in how they watch it and watching it at the same time as other people because I do think this content is something that pulls people together and reminds us of our connectedness we used this this phrase for the last few tempos on BBC America which was gather together and there does feel Mm -hmm. like there's something actually that is meaningful um, in that offer that only linear TV can really do that, to come together at the same moment to watch this sort of incredibly transcendent and connecting storytelling. And they could not, Planet Earth and Blue Planet could not come at at this moment when we're talking about climate change. It could not come at a better moment to remind us, you know, when whenever one of those great shows is on, my friends have to listen to me to my speech about this is what television can be. This is what. So to your point, yeah. absolutely, that's good to know. I I think the assumption reading that headline was, well, those things are going away, but it sounds like there's a yeah. there's a there's a lot of rights to go to split and go around for there, the for the natural are, history. There are, and we'll be making an announcement pretty shortly. Which yeah. is uh, all right, that. good. That's good because I know that I know that you guys have invested quite a bit in those. Um, uh, let me ask you, for you personally, coming into a role like this where you have a big step up in authority and responsibility, the number of people that, you know feeding into you. How has that been for you in your career as you've stepped up to you know higher degrees of management and seniority? Is management something that came easy to you, mm-hmm. or was it something that it took you some mm-hmm. time to learn how to how to lead a group of people? Mm-hmm. Um, I think as the oldest girl in a family of six children, I probably am an over responsibility taker, <laughs> but I don't think that necessarily equals a good manager. I think it means I rush in to fill a void. Um, but I, I had a lot to learn. I don't know that there are many naturally good managers in life. Maybe a few <laughs> sort of incredibly evolved humans. I'm certainly not one of them. Uh, the biggest sort of step for me in terms of my leadership learning was when I first became GM of Sundance Channel, as it was then called. And I'd previously run departments, but I hadn't run a team. And I hadn't, I hadn't been in that position of leadership in a way where the expectations become so exponentially higher on you. Mm-hmm. Not just in terms of fulfilling the job and the specifics of the job technically, but in terms of your, what people expect you to carry for them mm-hmm. um, and what people project onto you and what people's needs are around that. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've always taken over leadership roles, both Sundance and then BBC America and now this role. I've always stepped into jobs 
that is not just taking over the job from somebody else, but actually taking over at a point of massive disruption. Mm-hmm. So I took over Sundance when it had just been bought by AMC Networks. Big, big shift. You know, we weren't rated prior to that. It was a very, very different time. Um, I took over BBC America when it equally, half of it was bought by BBC America and it was taken into BBC, into AMC Networks operational control. So again, big, big cultural shift, a team that had been used to working as a sort of satellite into London. Um, suddenly in this sort of different corporate structure. And now I'm moving into this role at a time where it's not just taking over Charlie Collier's role, but a sort of differently configured job. Yeah, very so, much so. Yeah. So, so I've grown some, I've grown some muscles <laughs> in the area of change management, but it's, you know, I, I guess one of the things that I've come to believe so strongly sort of feels intuitive, but I kind of had to learn it was, is how important team is, mm-hmm. how important mm-hmm. having not just great people, but the right configuration of people around you is and how important it is to sort of build that, see that, shape that, structure that. So I've inherited and brought with me in this role some incredible people. So I feel very, very lucky in that sense. Um, you know, and I I think that the the thing that I'm sort of figuring out in this role from a leadership management point of view is I sort of got used to running a network running four networks and a and AMC premiere I can't do it in the way I did it before Mm, so I mm -hmm. sort of have to understand what to let go of what those things that matter are and how to sort of be in touch with the levers that I have to be in touch with and to let go of some other things so it's a process I would say I'm still in it I'm enjoying trying to figure out what that is Um, but it's you know, and everything's going so far. There's no wood to touch. Well, um, partly because the team is has been quite seamless. Um, but yeah, I would say I'm still trying to figure out exactly where to be, where I don't have to be. A lot of time in LA, a lot mm-hmm. of time there with David and his team. Um, less time in London. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah, it's you know, and then there's sort of some some sort of like reassuring stability at the top of AMC Network. So Ed Carroll, who's been my boss for the past, gosh, 10 years or more, is still my boss. You know, Josh Sapin, who's been the CEO for many years, is still there. And we're all sort of in it together, wrestling with what it is to keep shape-shifting in response to the big changes in our business um i couldn't be in it with better people couldn't imagine being in it with better people i think there's a nimbleness that comes from our size i think there's a great spirit in our company um so yeah we're all up for the challenge tell me of all the things i know you've got a, a juggling a lot of networks any any one or two things anything that you're really excited about programming wise so by the time this airs, um, brock meyer as i'm speaking to you is launching tonight super excited about that it's season three uh, Hank Azaria's uh, absolute passion project. You it's, can just see it when he's on screen. So I think someone said, maybe it's a character in the show, I can't remember. Maybe it was a reviewer. He goes from drunk asshole to sober asshole. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, it's just amazing. It's fantastic. It's like nothing else. It's perfection. Um, super excited about Killing Eve and Discovery of Witches, of course. And uh, really excited about The Terror Season 2, which mm. is coming back later this year. It's... Um, it's sort of an extraordinary um, contained horror series that is based, uh, starts right around the time of Pearl Harbor. Um, 
So it incorporates, and it's a, a community of, of uh, Japanese people. So it's sort of immediately sent to internment camps. And then it also, you know, it's a horror series. So there's also a J-horror, Japanese horror theme that spreads through it. It's beautiful. It's unlike anything else I've ever seen. Um, it has an incredibly sure hand. Really excited also about a show called Nosferatu, which is from Joe Hill, hmm. Stephen King's son. So good pedigree there. It's horror. stars an amazing young woman. Um, called Ashley Cummings, who is a fantastic protagonist. She's sort of, there's something very, you want to protect her, but she's sort of a fighter. Like all good horror, it's grounded in real psychological truth. Um, Zachary Quinto plays this sort of creepy, you know, what's creepier than Christmas time? He sort of perverts <laughs> Christmas in this fascinating way. Um, so there's a lot coming up on the networks that I'm really excited about. State of the Union on Sundance is an innovation in form. It's written right. by Nick Hornby. It's directed by Stephen Frears. It has Chris O'Dowd and Rosamund Pike. Right, so I've just seen a few episodes. Stuffed full of talent. What did you think? I lo- it sounds silly. I loved it. They were 10 minutes. <laughs> no, it was totally. actually very, you know, as anybody will say, you know, any, writing short is harder than writing long. So I was, I, I was incredibly impressed at the, you know, the economy and just how well they were presented and how much you got into the characters in such a short time. It was very eye-opening, you know, because we're so used to, you know, 50 minutes or, you know, 22 minutes, but it was very interesting. And of course, Rosamund Pike and Chris O'Dowd, it was cast so well, so perfectly. It was very interesting. Nick is pretty smart. He's genius at writing men and women. He is genius and he understands relationships in such a smart way. I think he's incredible. Um, and I think that it is the perfect conceit to fit the form because, you know, it is hard, as you say, but to come up with this idea of 10 minutes prior to a couple's therapy session in a pub is just brilliant because each week you've had a week that's gone by, you have material for them to talk about, you have the anxiety of them then going into this therapist's office. Right. Um, it's sort of perfect. It's brilliant. So we're going to launch that in May on uh, Sundance TV. So that's super exciting to be experimenting with form there and doing something quite innovative. Right. Um, and then we have some stuff in development I'm really excited about as well, something called 61st Street, which is from um, Peter Moffat. It's, we partnered them with Michael B. Jordan's Outlier Company, and it sort of takes on the audacious, ambitious topic of race in America. Um, it's incredibly moving. It's propulsive. Um, that's in development. And then a show called... I'm not sure if your podcast will have to bleep this, but it's called Kevin Can Fuck Himself, working title, <laughs> uh, from Rashida Jones. And it's a sort of, um, it's a wet, it's a, it's this really cool show that uh, it starts and it looks like a sort of multicam, sort of traditional comedy. And it's a sort of obnoxious husband and the long-suffering, eye-rolling wife. And there's a bit of banter. She leaves the room, cut to single camera, follows her. She is miserable and planning to kill that slob of a husband. So it mixes a sort of comedy. uh, So it's quite sort of meta, I guess, and how it's sort of how how you see something, the perspective of something. Um, But it's funny and it's sort of picaresque and it's um, really ambitious um, and I think could be quite cool. So there are a few things in development that I'm really excited about. I can see it. I can hear it. That's wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for stopping in to talk, talk with us about some pretty weighty issues. I really appreciate it. And good luck to you. Thank you, Cynthia. It was great to chat. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. 